you got a chance to get a good nap or something like that. I didn't, so if I go to sleep in the middle of all this, you know why. <laughs> I didn't get my nap in, but uh, it is good to see you. Welcome those who join us every Sunday night. And welcome back to Washington Baptist Church, our Sunday night Bible study time together. We also use this to pray and um, just want to update you on Susan Peterson. Uh, talked to James uh, just, just a little while ago, about an hour or so ago. And um, so uh, he told me I could be very open and just straightforward with you. Um, outside of just the, you know, the, the miraculous hand of our Lord, uh, Susan is not going to survive this. Uh, for those who don't know what happened, she fell, I believe it was Tuesday morning, and uh, hit her head on the road. She had gone out to, she had taken the dogs out, but also had gone to the mailbox and um, don't know what happened, but she ended up falling, hitting her head on the road. Um, a knot come up, which is generally a good sign. If it, you know, if it comes up, that's good. Uh, but, uh, and they wanted her to go to the doctor. She didn't want to go. She wanted to go get her hair cut. So they took her to get a haircut. People with haircut wanted her to go to the doctor. She says, no, I'm feeling good. Well, about mid-afternoon, she wasn't feeling good and ended up uh, having to do emergency surgery to relieve the pressure from the bleeding that was on the inside from her fall. And um, I, I didn't know this. Probably, uh, you know, some of you medical people knew this, but, you know, when that pressure builds, it shifts your brain. And uh, so when they relieve the pressure, it rebounds. The brain will rebound back to where it's supposed to be. And, but sometimes that causes other problems. And that's what happened here. Uh, it rebound and then it created some bleeding at the stem uh, of the brain. And that's obviously the most critical part. So um, she's uh, just developing other issues and fighting, starting to fight pneumonia now and other things that's just developing, you know. So uh, just, uh, uh, we know Susan, she's our sister in Christ. Uh, we know she, when this time comes, is going to be with our Lord. Uh, but, uh, and it's okay to ask God to step in and intervene. So please understand what I'm saying here. But let me need to lift James up. He's got, he's got to make that decision. He's made the decision. It's just the process now of um, maybe trying to get her down to the hospice house simply for the purpose of having the freedom of the family to have some time with her uh, because of still some of the rules of COVID and things of that nature involving the hospital. So uh, I'd like for us to keep praying, of course, for, for James and the family, Susan as well. And, of course, Barbara and Bobby, I'm going to keep them. You know, Barbara's been in and out, and, and um, you know, she's got the kidney issues. We know that. Then she had this other uh, bacterial intestinal um, problem going on, and, well, she's just fighting a lot of things. And I know that Bobby is absolutely exhausted and uh, so we just need to keep them before the Lord and uh, trust them into his hands. It is so good to have Miss Kelly with us tonight. <laughs> and uh, we've been praying for you. I don't know if you had had a chance to watch. I actually mentioned it here. So uh, she is having a good week. So we're rejoicing over that and just trusting God. She's got a great spirit. 
great faith, and uh, we're going to keep praying for you too, uh, Kelly, as we go to the Lord in prayer. Um, are there any other requests for tonight? Bill and Nancy, Catherine, yeah. Falling. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right. So this is Bill and Nancy. Nancy has a lot, you know, she's she's fighting cancer, she's doing dialysis, doing a lot of different things. And of course that takes a toll on your body. You fall a lot. And Bill has back problems, so that, that creates a, another issue involved. So thank you, Elaine, for reminding us of Bill and Nancy and, and what's going on in their lives. Any others? Nancy? Okay, yeah, uh, Nancy's talking about uh, her granddaughter, Emma, um, that uh, she was born with some difficulties that, as she was just saying, they generally don't get to celebrate a second birthday, and uh, she has, and so uh, they got to celebrate with her today, but uh, keep her before the Lord as well. So thank you for sharing that praise with us, Nancy. I appreciate it very much. All right, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then uh, we'll we'll get started in our study. And James, Mr. James, I'll need that back there in just a moment. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Well, Lord God, I, I do come to you in Christ, and um, Lord, our hearts are heavy. Lord, we think about uh, James and Susan, what they mean to us, uh, Lord, and. And uh, they've been a part of our fellowship, our family here at Washington for quite a while. And we love them dearly. Uh, Lord, it breaks our heart what Susan, what has happened with Susan. Uh, but Lord God, we, we have entrusted her into your hands. And Lord, we know that uh, nothing's impossible for you. We recognize that. And Lord, we embrace that by faith. And we know that, uh, Lord, just your word. And Lord, you could bring healing to our body. But we also know, Lord God, that we live in a fallen world and you tell us that life here on this earth is going to come to an end and sometimes it is through, unfortunately, accidents like this. Lord, she loves you and you love her. We know you've got her and we know you got James too. Lord, he is really struggling emotionally. Uh, he's made the decision, but Lord God, it is tough. So I just pray you would just comfort him, Lord, as he sits down with the rest of the family to explain all the details of, uh, Lord, uh, what is going on in, in her body and, Lord, uh, what uh, decisions have to be made. 
And Lord, I pray you give them understanding of that and that they would encourage him, that they would support him, Lord God, emotionally and Lord, just uh, also just spiritually as well. And so, Lord, we just want to commit this whole family to you. We praise you for Kelly being with us tonight. Lord, having a good week. And Lord, but we keep her in your hands. We thank you for doctors. We thank you for nurses. We thank you for technicians. All those people have different skills, different abilities, Lord God, to be used by you. You're, you're uh, using them. They're your hands. They're your thoughts. You are using them to minister to people with physical needs. And we just rejoice in those. But Lord God, uh, ultimately we know that you are the great physician. You are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God who heals. So ultimately, all healing, Lord God, comes from you. And that's why we entrust Kelly, we entrust others into your hands, Lord God. And Lord, even our lives, we entrust to you because, Lord, you and you alone have perfect knowledge of all things at all times. And Lord, there's so many times we think we know so much and we can just go on without you. But the truth is, well, we know very little. As you tell us in your word, we know but a little and we see through the glass darkly and that is very darkly. And so, Lord God, uh, thank you for loving us, caring for us according to your perfect knowledge and your perfect wisdom and your plans and purposes. Thank you for the time we have tonight to study a word, trusting you, Lord, for every word to be established upon my lips and my tongue, for you to, Lord, to take every thought captive, and Lord, just lead us in this study together, and Lord, may it be a word of encouragement, a word of a warning, a word that, Lord, will speak to our hearts where we are. You are so awesome in taking the same word, the same passage, and applying it by the power of your Holy Spirit to every single one of us individually, where we are, what we need to hear. So even in a study like this, we know what you can do, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 6, where we actually kind of began a, a study. We went through prophetic signs and we're doing prophetic events. And it kind of led us right here into Revelation chapter 6 and uh, probably the following chapters as well. Uh, talking about the day of the Lord. We began last week and we're going to continue with a little bit of review in just a moment and then continue on in the study of Revelation chapter 6 where Christ is reclaiming what is rightfully his, which is this earth. Um, you know, the scripture does tell us in Colossians chapter, chapter 3 or chapter 1 that everything was created by him, everything was created through him. But listen to this last part. Paul says everything was created for him. Ultimately, he is to be here and reign as king here upon this earth. And uh, we are to be part of that kingdom. We're, we're supposed to be preached in this kingdom. We're supposed to be servants in this kingdom. But when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, uh, we lost our dominion. And now from that point on, Christ has been working with the blessings of the Father and with the, uh, the salvation plans of the Father to redeem man back, 
but also to redeem creation back because creation was also touched by the sin and the fall of man. Now, I was thinking the other day of uh, the time when Moses asked the Lord that if he would reveal to him his glory, which in essence was Moses was saying, I, I want to see your face. And the Lord reminded him that, that no one could look upon him. Those of us here on this earth, no one could look upon him and live. And so uh, he said, but what I'll do is I will pass by with my back to you. And in doing that, he also described himself. This is the one passage in Revelation chapter, I mean, in Exodus chapter 34, if you want to follow along with this, uh, beginning in verse 6, um, where God describes himself to man. What an incredible verse it is, or part of another verse as well. But in Exodus chapter 34 and beginning in verse 6, it says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. So he said, Moses, you want to know what I'm like? Here I am. He says, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity. Now, that's the attributes of God we embrace. His love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. We, we, we can almost, you can almost get a Baptist church to be Baptist just singing and praising and testifying about the goodness and the graciousness and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness of God. But, you know, he does have other attributes other than, I mean, in addition to that, we know he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, he is omnipresent, which means wherever we are, he is. We were talking about that a little bit this morning. But then also we know he's holy. The scripture says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We know that he is eternally perfect in righteousness. We know that he is eternally perfect in purity. We know that he is eternally perfect in justice. And it's within these attributes of God, his holiness, his righteousness, his purity, his justice, that he must, no matter how gracious he is, no matter how loving and forgiving he is, there's a time where he has to judge sin. He has to judge those who have resisted him, those who have rejected him, those who are living in rebellion against him. And then there's also a time where he needs to finish out his judgment on Satan and the kingdom of darkness. Well, as we come to the end of time, as we know it here on this earth, this time of judgment that we're talking about is called the day of the Lord. Some scriptures have it, the great day of the Lord or the great wrath of God. It is also called the seven years of tribulation. And it's kind of defined for us or described for us in terms of what he wants to accomplish really 
in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. So I just want to remind you of that. We looked at it actually last week, but I wanted to come back to it because it all, all of this is built together. What Daniel teaches us about the last seven years called the seven years of tribulation, what Ezekiel teaches about the seven years of tribulation, but particularly as it eventually relates to this book, the book of Revelation given to us by God through the apostle John. But in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, those of us who have done a study of Daniel remember more of the details of this, but he is simply saying uh, the prophecy given to Daniel, God is saying that I have set aside 70 years, 70 times 7, which really 490 years to finish up everything I want to do. And so he says, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people, meaning the people of Israel, and your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish, now here's the key, listen, it's to finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, that is to bring it all to fruition and to anoint the most holy place. So when we're talking about the seven years of tribulation, we talk about the day of the Lord, we talk about the day of the wrath of God, we're talking about him bringing his, the ultimate fulfillment of all of his plans of the redemption of man, the redemption of creation, the judgment against man who has rebelled and rejected him, and ultimately the judgment against Satan, and of course his kingdom of darkness, and in the process, Christ his son reclaiming back what is rightfully his, which is the title deed of the earth. Now, with that being said, uh, understand that uh, the scripture uh, that describes the seven years is found particularly all through scripture, but basically Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 19. This is the seven years of tribulation. I want you to look with me just a second before we get to that in 2 Thessalonians. And if you've got an outline, there is an error. And I'm sorry, James, I didn't remind you of that. But it's not 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, but it's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. And here is what it says. It says, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Now, there's the work of sin, the work of rebellion, the work of rejecting Almighty God, His grace, His love, His mercy, all of that. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only He who now restrains will do so until He is taken out of the way. In other words, God is sovereign. You know, we talked about this morning that when we face tests and trials and temptation, God promises us two things. He promises us he's in control. You know, he controls uh, how much temptation can come our way. He knows where we are spiritually. He knows what we can handle, what we can't handle. So the truth of the matter is we have no excuse. Actually, he's taken away all of our excuses. But he controls and he is also promises his companionship. 
And, and so while he, while the Holy Spirit is here working through believers, then lawlessness or this, this rebellion against God is, is being suppressed by the power of God as the Holy Spirit works on this earth, particularly working through us. When the rapture occurs, which you know I've already shared with you, I'm a pre-tribulationist, which means I think that is the event that not only brings all of God's people together around the throne of God, uh, that have accepted Christ and put their trust in the Lord God, but it's the event that immediately moves us into these seven years of tribulation. And so as we pick up with that, knowing that we've already studied the rapture of the church, uh, I want to go back and review a little bit of the first two or three seals that we looked at. Because in chapter 5, it says Christ took the title deed of the earth out of the hands of God the Father. That scroll that was rolled up has seven seals. And in that scroll is everything that needs to happen, that is going to happen for Christ to reclaim what is rightfully his as King of kings and Lord of lords. He redeemed it back by his blood, by his sacrifice, his resurrection, and now it's ascended to the right hand of God the Father. So let's go to Revelation chapter 6 and, uh, and just kind of walk through the first two or three of these a little bit and then uh, get particularly into the last two uh, a little bit more detail, the fifth seal and the sixth seal. I will remind you of this, so please keep this in mind. The seals cover the whole seven years of tribulation. It's more of a broad stroke until you get to the last seal because the last seal involves the seven trumpet judgments. You get to the seventh trumpet judgment and that is the seven bowls of wrath judgment. And so in reality, the seals cover everything ultimately. But what it does is kind of give us an idea of what's going to be happening here. It's a reason we don't want to be here. We're trusting. Uh, I'm trusting that my theology is right. Right, Ray? We're trusting my theology is right. And God's going to get us out of here. Uh, and then uh, that his wrath is going to be poured out. So let's just go back to Revelation chapter 6 for a moment. Watching the time here carefully. And the first seal is given to us in Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2. It's called, the first four are called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And so the first horse is a white horse. And it says, then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven, seal, uh, seven seals, and of course that's Christ the lamb. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with the voice of thunder come. I looked and behold a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. And so this is a picture of, of someone coming on the scene and basically ending up as the one the world is looking to uh, to actually be their savior. Now keep in mind what has happened. We talked about the rapture's taken, rapture's taking place and all of God's people that's here on earth they're all gone. So momentarily, listen to me carefully. I want to make sure you get this vision. 
but momentarily, right at that time, there are no people of God here on this earth. Now, that's going to change later. We'll look at it probably even tonight to a degree, but but at that moment, so just think about the panic, you think about the chaos, all of a sudden people are just gone. And there's nobody there, no people of God to give any direction to them as to what happened. So what? It's an open door. It's the incredible opportunity for the Antichrist to come upon the scene. And he comes with a bow and no arrow. That means he does not gain his position by war, by bloodshed, but he does gain it as he goes to conquer and he goes out conquering and to conquer. And he is given a crown and the crown he's given to is a Stephanos, which is a, which is a crown that a man will give to another man. It's not a diadem. It's not a king's crown at all. It's just that they have elevated him. They have exalted him. He's brought peace. It's a fake peace. But instead of doing this through, you know, just the, the darkness of war, he reaches this through diplomacy. Brilliant. And he brings peace to the Middle East. He brings peace to the world with his diplomatic skills. But here's what you need, and then we'll move on. What you, all you need to know about this man, the Antichrist, and I give that to you. Going back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I read verse 7, but then listen to what it says, verses 8 through 12. This is all you need to know about this one on the white horse then that lawless one will be revealed. In other words, it says, after we're taken out, after the rapture occurs, boom, Antichrist comes on the scene. That lawless one will be revealed and the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That's happening in Revelation 19, but listen to this. That is... The one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of truth so as to be saved. In other words, they resisted the gospel. They knew what Christ had done. They had heard the message. They had rejected the message. And then the scripture says, verses 11 and 12, for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who do not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. A thought occurred to me, just this afternoon when I was going over this, this lesson for tonight that that can occur immediately or that may occur halfway through the seven years of tribulation because the first three and a half years are peace. Now, there's a lot of turmoil going on behind the scenes, but the world thinks peace. We got this prince of peace. We know who the true prince of peace is, but he kind of gives himself out as though he's the prince of peace with diplomacy and there's peace in the Middle East, there's peace around the world. He has brought this panicking world together. 
But halfway through this seven years, his real colors come out. A revelation of who he really is. And um, in those three and a half years prior to that, there's going to be a great, great witness for the Lord taking place. And there are going to be a lot of people that comes to accept the Lord. So these people have heard it. So maybe if this either happens at the beginning of those who are already rejected or it at least happens about halfway through the seven years of tribulation. Seal number two. Antichrist is on the scene deceiving people with a false peace. Then... Then the second seal is opened by our Lord Jesus. And that's found in verses 3 and 4. And it says, when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And, and another, a red horse went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth. So the prince of peace gives a false peace. Everybody thinks this is awesome but the truth of the matter is there's a lot taking place behind the scenes, a lot of turmoil that is turning. And all of a sudden we move from this, wow, this utopia they think they've got into wars and rumors of wars continuously taking place, leading, of course, ultimately to the ultimate war. You've heard of it. It's called the, you know, the Battle of Armageddon that's going to take place. And we'll, we'll end up studying that sooner or later. But let me give you this in Matthew chapter 24. Because in, in, in Matthew 24 and 25, the Lord is answering the disciples, giving him, them some insight. This is before Revelation, for this book was given by God through the Apostle John. But he gives some insight. And he, here's what he says. Uh, in verses 21 and 22. He's trying to tell them what is going to happen. And notice his wording very carefully because I want you to be able to get this sequence in mind of seven years, the first three and a half years, something happens because the abomination of desolation. We'll study that when we get there. And then the last three and a half years. And here's what he says about the last three and a half years. He says, for then there will be a great tribulation. And that's what it's called. The last three and a half years is called great tribulation. It says, such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And he says in verse 22, unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So there's wars, there's rumors of wars. We, we know there's incredible battles taking place, leading the Armageddon. But here's the fascinating thing about this, and then we'll move on to the next one. It says that men, that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. Great meaning not size, but the magnitude of the bloodshed, which is what the red horse represents, the, the bloodshed that's going to be here uh, upon this earth. The sword he's talking about is a sword that Roman soldiers would carry that they would use in hand-to-hand -hand combat. In other words, just, just think of what you see, what you hear, not just in the United States now, but around the world. 
the riots, the recklessness, um, the murders that are taking place, uh, the spirit of rebellion that is seems to be filling the heart of mankind. And again, not just here, but around the world. And just, just kind of understand that what we're seeing today, and, and I'm not sure, sometimes I just get tired of hearing about it, so I just don't listen to the news or listen to the radio. I just, I just want to just praise the Lord, okay? Because I know we win, okay? Hallelujah. I know we win. So, but what we see today is nothing You see a world overwhelmed by a murderous spirit. And what they thought was utopia, what they thought this quote-unquote prince of peace was bringing was nothing but really bloodshed like we have never seen before. Seal number three. Vision was taking place in these seven years. Verses five and six, when he broke the third seal, I heard the living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When you have war upon war upon war, when you have society unraveling at a level and mankind rebelliously with a murderous spirit killing one another over whatever, the end result is is famine. I mean, I'm talking about worldwide famine. And it's just a perfect time for the Antichrist to make his next move. And that is take control of the economy of the world. Literally take control of it. And we will study some of this in detail later, but let me just give you this out of Revelation chapter 13, just two verses. We talked about a little bit last week. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark, meaning the mark of the beast, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast for the number is that of a man and his number is 666. And so here you have worldwide famine. Here you have people in line, incredible lines, starving, needing food. One, just for, just for a little bread that to survive for one day, just enough bread to survive that day will t- t- cost you a whole day's salary. But here's the deal. If you don't have the mark of the beast, You can't get any food. And we'll study what we think that is in another study. But, but, you know, just just think about it now. uh, You know, I was just looking a little while ago, just just thinking about this. And 
Every one of these cards I have, not all of these are credit cards, okay? But every one that is a credit card has a little chip on it, right? All right? So if I use this, let's say it's Starbucks, they know everything I've ever ordered. And when I drive up, if I had to drive up, I don't, but if I had to drive up, this chip would be red before I even get to the window. And they will have a list of everything I've ordered since I've been to Starbucks. If I use this in a hotel, a lot of hotels now, they have my number. And when I drive up in their parking lot, they know I'm there before I ever park and walk through that door. It comes up. So when you begin to see how everything really is in place, they, they've got the technology now to do whatever they need to do for whatever that mark of the beast is going to be. But if it happens to be something like a chip or something like, look, they don't even need that. They got this. <laughs> they know where I am, where, wherever I am. They know every call I've ever made, I've ever received. They know it all now. So... We started thinking about this years ago. Nobody had a clue. Now, it's just inevitable. They got it now to be able to do it. The fourth seal is the fourth horseman, verses seven and eight. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, come. I looked and behold an ashen horse and he who sat on it had the name death and Hades, which is the abode of the dead, was following with him. This is a partnership. You die, you go to the grave, right? Okay, so that's what he's talking about. <coughs> Excuse me. But listen to what he says. And it says, death and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beast of the earth. We have about six billion, give or take, I don't know what the final number is right now, about six billion people upon the earth. And so in this three and a half year period, at least the most of it right there in that last three and a half years, 1.6 billion people are gonna die. because of a rebellious, murderous culture, because of wars, battle of Armageddon, chemical warfare, biological warfare. All of these things, think about it, 1.6 billion in about three years. And so it says here, with pestilence and by the wild beast of the earth. And that, that last phrase could mean one or two things. It could be talking about just how brutal and demonic poli uh, uh, politicians and leaders of that day are. But Cox will just say, look, can't keep up with it. So many people being killed so quickly, so often, can't keep up with it. And you remember, if you go to Revelation chapter 19, just something to think about. Revelation chapter 19, beginning verse 11, when Christ is coming 
and we're moving toward the battle of Armageddon. And it says in verse 11 and following, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. This is a different writer, of course. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and he wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which is no one except himself. And he's clothed with a, a robe dipped in blood. And in his name is called the word of God. Look with me in verses 17 and following. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds in the mid-heavens. What's the mid-heavens? Right up above us. <laughs> this is saying to all the birds which fly in the mid-heaven, come and assemble for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of the mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men, slaves, small and great. So many people will die. So many cannot keep up with it and their carcasses will be left to be devoured by the wild beasts, the birds, the prey. What an incredible scene. All right. The fifth seal. Verses 9 through 11. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God because of the testimony which they had maintained. In other words, they were tortured, they were persecuted, but they stood unmovable in their commitment to Jesus Christ. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on, on those who dwell on the earth. And there was given to each of them a white robe and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. Matthew chapter 24 verse 9. Remember Jesus is describing what's going to happen in the tribulation to those who are followers of his, and here's what he says, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. What an incredible time it's going to be. Of course, do you realize that martyrdom is happening in this world right now for those who accept Christ as Lord and Savior. We're, we're so blessed. Come on. We are so blessed. Yeah, there's a, there's a wild world out there that, you know, gets us discouraged and, you know, everything. But 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, praise God that you live here, okay? Praise God that in his providence that he chose in his sovereignty that you'd be born or that you have moved here if that's the case and you live in the United States of America with all of its junk. Praise God. Because there's many people being martyred today as ever been martyred for faith in Jesus Christ. But that's nothing. Nothing compared. You say, well, where did these come from? You just said earlier in our study that after the rapture, momentarily, that was the key word, momentarily there were just, there were no people of God here on this earth. No wonder they were panicking. No wonder they were looking for and were deceived so easily by a false prince of peace. But if you look briefly with me in Revelation chapter 7, I tell you where they come from. Now, now we're going to get into all the details here because that's coming up. But listen to what it says, beginning, I'm just going to read the first four verses. I'm not going to read all the way uh, down. But he says, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. In other words, uh, the, the, uh, the judgment that is coming so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, which is from the east, having the great seal of living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to four angels to whom he was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bond service of God on their foreheads. Watch this, verse 4, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. <laughs> right now, Israel is one of the most secular nations, believe it or not, on the earth. They don't even, Muslims don't even believe there is a God. But there is coming a revival. It's going to begin with children of Israel. And God's going to raise up in that first three and a half years, 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And they're going to be preaching Jesus. They're going to be sharing the gospel. And, and along with them, in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 3, because of time we won't turn there, there's going to be added to that two incredibly powerful witnesses. The scripture does say in verse 9, and I did not give this to James, says, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude. Listen to this. A great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they were crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I said this morning, that in Nineveh, one of the greatest revivals ever taking place on this earth took place in Nineveh. Well, that's nothing compared to the revival that's going to take place in that first three and a half years. But it's going to cost them their life. It's going 
cost them their life. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be killed. They're going to be martyred. As it says here in Revelation chapter 6, they're praying, oh, Lord, when is it going to happen? When, when is the judgment coming? He says, we're not far off. When they were given a white robe, the etern- listen to this. The white robe represents the eternal righteousness of God. You remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Verse 21, but God the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that in him, are you listening? Say amen. We are made the righteousness of God. We get the same gift. It's the eternal gift of righteousness, and that's why you can be heaven bound. Without it, you can't. Your works are not going to get you there. Your goodness is not going to get you there. It's going to be the righteousness of Christ credited to your account forever. That's why it says in in Romans chapter 8 and in verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. It says here that they were under the altar. And I just thought I'd share this with you before I move on to the other. And we'll conclude with the sixth seal. But in Exodus chapter 29 and um, in verse 12, we kind of get an idea of what it's talking about. They they have been martyred. They have had their blood shed. And so listen to this. He was given instructions on how God was given instructions on how he wants this done. He says, you shall take some of the blood of the bull. This is the sacrifices in the temple, but listen to it carefully. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger, and you shall pour out all the blood at the base of the altar. That's the sacrifices that were made. They sacrificed their life for Christ. The last seal, not the last, but the sixth seal, Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. Now, this here is all God. We've been talking about people on this earth. We've been talking about what's happening, what people are, all those things. This is just God. This is the wrath of God. Listen to this. I looked, when he broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. And the the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by great winds. So just kind of get that in your mind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. 
the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. What an incredible picture that is. It says it was a great earthquake. That's not an isolated earthquake. That is a worldwide shaking of the earth. You do know that this earth is very fragile. There are fault lines all over this planet. Where did those fault lines come from? Well, they came when, when Noah, when the flood came. And when you read that, when you read what happened back in Genesis, I gave you this reference, Genesis chapter 7 and, and in verse 11. Just look at that very quickly with me. And just a slight description here, but those who do that, do that study understand it says, in the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, 600 year, how would you like to live 600 years? What do you do? Obviously, life was a little bit slower back then. The 600 year of Noah's life in the second month of the 17th day of the month, on that same day, listen to this, all the fountains of the great deep burst open. The great deep. The earth opened up, folks. Yeah, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. That wasn't enough. The earth opened up. The earth began to crack open. The hands of God and water from the deep was coming out. And as it, as it came back, and that's why, look, there, 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 there is in the Mediterranean Sea, there's a whole city down there. They know it's there. It was not under that water at the beginning, duh. This earth, when it says a great earthquake, it's saying this whole earth is going to shake. Be earthquakes all around the globe. This is an act of God. And then he says, you know what that's going to cause? That's going to cause volcanoes to erupt. That's going to cause all kind of, no wonder the sun is blackened. No wonder the moon looks red. Even, even lying on a, you know, super full moon that is pink when you missed your opportunity to go to the hospital and have this baby. Just saying. That was Monday. Can you think of the terror? It says the, the stars would, would fall. I, you know, if one star hit this planet, it would destroy it. So I, I don't know, Ray, you can help me with this one. I, I kind of figure this is going to be more of a, an incredible meteor shower that is just beyond our imagination. And, Kathy knows about this. When we were in seminary, it was one day during exams of all times, final exams, 
We had three tornadoes in Fort Worth, Texas at one time. It was as dark as midnight. You could hear them like trains all over. And then all of a sudden, it started hailing. And I'm talking about softball-sized hail. Not exaggerating at all, Emma Kathy. It just, and it fascinated me. It was kind of like, kind of like God was up there and said, "I've had enough." Woo! And I was drinking a cup of coffee and watching all this take place, while Kathy went upstairs, pulled the mattress off the bed, brought it downstairs, got in the kitchen, got under it, and said, "You crazy nut, get under here with me." I wanted to see it. And I thought, and it was scary. When you see like, like rain, softball size. Of course, you know, when it was all over, our car was out there <laughs> along with everybody else's car. Yeah, hurt it pretty bad. But can you imagine a meteor shower like that? What? You understand why they're running to the mountains. We're done. God, God's day of wrath is here. We are done. Just think of the terror that they're going to be going through. Well, we got to get to the seventh seal, and that's going to open up a whole new can of worms. So let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just rejoice. <laughs> We're yours. <laughs> and we, it, 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 it overwhelms us to think of what those days are going to be like. And, and Lord, I'm not really, you know, and they understand too, I'm not really just, I'm just scratching the surface here just so that we can grasp what it's going to be like. As you begin to pour out your wrath against rebellious man and, and finalize your judgment against man and against Satan and his kingdom of darkness. We just thank you that we're covered by your grace, your eternal forgiveness, totally undeserved, totally unearned, just a step of faith, receiving you as our personal Lord and Savior. Because, Lord Jesus, you shed your blood for us. You have given each of us a white robe, the eternal gift of righteousness so that we can dwell with you forever in the wonders of your glory. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.